Welcome to Ordinarily Extraordinary Conversations with Women in STEM. I'm your host, Kathy Nelson, an electrical engineer who loves to hear and share stories of other women in STEM. Today, I'm joined by Stephanie Slocum. Stephanie has master's and bachelor's degrees in architectural engineering. She's a career and business strategist, an author, keynote speaker, and a champion for women in STEM. I had a great time talking with Stephanie about her book, She Engineers, and her advice on how women can be more successful in engineering. Please enjoy her story. Good morning. Hey there, Kathy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am good. Oh, you have awesome audio. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I always use the headset for podcasts because the audio just sounds even like I have speakers and all that, but it, this this works good. So I'm glad. I'm glad it's coming across well for you. Yeah, this is great. How are you doing? How's your morning been? Um, it's hectic. I don't, is it's that just, good or bad <laughs> or just is? Um, it just is. This week is a little bit. So I did uh, four, pre- I basically I've done a presentation a day this week. Okay. Um, and so I've been trying to catch up this morning. I was trying to catch up on all the emails. Yeah, I saw sort of some stuff. of your stuff on LinkedIn. So I knew that you had been presenting at something. So yeah, yeah, we did student, I did students yesterday. I did two different presentations for different professional groups the, the two days before that. Um, I like giving presentations. It just so happened that this week, a lot of people had conferences, I guess. So that's fine. Yeah. Well, and I think like conferences are a little, just a little bit weird now because everything is virtual. And so it's like conferences get spread out. I guess it's good that you could do four conferences at the same time. Because if you were there in person, you definitely couldn't be doing right, that. Right. So. I, wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to do that. It's just a weird week because they're all at once. And then like starting next week, I'm back to like one a week again. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, but I'm looking forward to the weekend. How, how about you? How's your work week been? My work week has been weird because I was on vacation the week before. And so always like catching up is hard. And honestly, um, so I have to run two different groups of email because I have like one on my client side and one on my company side. And so I didn't even get through all of my emails until today. Um, so that has been hard, but I'm actually like really excited about today because I'm going to get a massage this afternoon. Oh yeah. Um, and I haven't gotten one since before COVID and it's like my favorite <laughs> pampering treat. Mm-hmm. And we hiked the Grand Canyon last week. And so I oh, wow. like schedule it before we left. Cause I'm like, I just felt like I was going to need it. Cause right. <laughs> it's not an easy vacation. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited about that. Nice. My little, my little afternoon treat. All right. So let's talk about you. So actually, while I was driving out to and from the Grand Canyon, I read your book. I don't know if I want to start there, though, because I'm really curious how you went from being a architectural engineer to starting your own company. And so I almost kind of want to start there because I think it's interesting how women go from like being a practicing engineer to going out and doing coaching and mentoring and, and turning to that side. So how'd you get started doing that? And what exactly do you do? And tell me a little bit about your company. Um, So first I will, I will start with, it was never in my life plan to start my own business. Um, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that seem to be kind of like split down the two paths. You know, I talked to the people that are like, oh yeah, I did a lemonade stand when I was eight and knew that that was the path I was going to go on. That was completely not me. So I, uh, I was one of those people that even growing up and through college, like I changed my major three different times. There were a lot of things I've always been interested in. 
Um, and so I went into engineering, like fully planning to like stay in engineering the entire time. But um, as, as I imagine you and a lot of our listeners have had this experience where sometimes things pop up and you discover what your passions are as you go along. You can't possibly know all the things out there in the world that you could be good at until you try them. Uh, and, and that was exactly what happened for me. So I like the technical stuff. That's why, why I went into engineering and got, uh, I have a master's degree in architectural engineering. I started uh, designing the structures of buildings that hold them up. Uh, and I went through that career progression. But as I was, as I was going, uh, what I found is like, I was good at the technical stuff, but what I really liked uh, was the, the people part. So when I got to mentor uh, other engineers, when I got to manage other engineers, I actually found I, I liked some of the business development side of the industry as well, uh, which was a bit considered a bit weird to have an engineer who's like interested in marketing and, and sales and all of those things. One of the, I would guess, I would say like the, the trigger point here that kind of caused me to go down a completely different path than I think I had originally expected um, was the fact that, so first of all, when I entered the industry, I was completely uh, blindsided uh, by the sorts of kind of unconscious gender biases that I ran into, usually perpetuated by people who were very nice people to work with, like people I had really good mm-hmm. relationships with. But but there would be these assumptions made about your competence. The, the first time I realized that, oh, well, I guess my gender might have something to do with how my career progression and how I was treated. It was in my very first job and I love to bake. So I took uh, brownies into work and we were in this big open office floor plan. And as like the newbie person in the engineering department, my desk happened to be like right next to where uh, kind of the communal food area uh, was. So I had these brownies sitting there and I could always hear the discussions of anyone in this area. And one of the senior engineers in the department had come over and, and took a bite of it. Uh, one of these brownies and with this like big smile on his face goes, this is why we need women in our engineering department. Oh, and, and I was at the time, so there was myself and another young woman. We were in the same graduating class. We were hired and we were the only two in, in the department. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, what do I do here? And I kind of like did the mental, I'm just going to chuckle to myself and try to ignore this. And I went on to work with him on a lot of different projects. It's this like weird spot to be in when you're like, okay, these things are going on. Is it me? Is there something about me that doesn't scream technical competence, leader, what are all these things? Um, and, and for a very long time, I did think it was me. As I tried to navigate for this for myself and figured it out, I found myself mentoring other women specifically uh, about this, uh, sharing the message that, you know, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not, this is not just you at all. When I initially started doing this, this is well before like the book Lean In came out. And so we didn't have any of the kind of cultural discussions around this stuff yet. Um, so fast forward, and I'm now about 15 years into my career, I'm managing pretty large projects. I'm managing team members and all of those things. Uh, and I also have three children, so all girls. And I'm having a discussion with my second grader one day about this project she's working on in second grade. Uh, they were doing a book writing project. And I had mentioned to her, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, writing a book was something I just always wanted to do. 
And she looks at me and she's like, well, why haven't you done it yet? I said, well, I'll I'll get to it at some point. She's like, mom, you're always telling us that like, if you want to do something, like go after your dreams, like you need to put in the work, but you can do, you know, whatever it is you want to do. She's like, so why haven't you started writing this book yet? And I'm like, okay, I'm getting schooled by my second grader because she's right. Smart and intuitive. It's amazing. She was right. And it was weird because we had that conversation about a week later, I was introduced to someone who was like a friend of a friend who runs a self-publishing school. And I'm like, okay, this is like the universe kicking me in the butt <laughs> saying, you know what? The, like the time to turn this into reality is here. Uh, and so the book I wrote was uh, She Engineers, which is essentially the, it's, I view it as the career success guide for women in engineering. All the stuff that you didn't know you needed to know that you don't learn in school Mm -hmm. that you need to be successful. And I wrote that as a complete, like it was a passion project. I started writing it. um, To be honest, at first, I wasn't even sure I was going to put it out there uh, because again, like at the, at the time I was writing this, I was a very much a client facing contact for where I worked. The teams I was working on were predominantly men. Uh, And I was (laughs) very (laughs) concerned about like, again, like I was working with great men. Um, mm-hmm. But I was very concerned about backlash here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I put this put this out into the world. Um, but what what ended up like kind of, again, giving me that push was this thought that, okay, if it, putting this book out into the world can help one person not to have to struggle like I did. Um, and recognizing that, you know, like the unconscious bias in particular is really, really real. And at the same time, my daughters were like, okay, like we like to build stuff out of Legos. I'm like, they're going to have the same problems I did. What, you know, if they come up through, if that's what they choose to do, I, I have to put this out in the world. I, I felt almost a, a moral obligation to do so, um, for lack of a better description. So uh, I put the book out. I self-published it in January of 2018. Uh, about a week after I published it, I got asked to come speak to young professionals and and women in STEM groups uh, about a lot of the topics in the book. And it was at that point I realized, number one, you could actually get paid to go talk (laughs) about topics you're super passionate about. Uh, And I was taking vacation days to go do this. Again, this is a complete side project. No one outside my immediate family even knew I was writing the book because it was one of those projects that I'm like, okay, am I going to publish it? Am I going to finish it? Because a lot of people that start books don't, don't write it. Um, but again, it's now out there. I'm now taking vacation days. I'm making a little bit of uh, money between the book sales and speaking. And I, it was at that point I realized that, okay, I had a decision I had to make here. I could continue on in uh, working in my engineering, you know, technical career and, and focusing there. Um, and that's fine. Or I could see where this other thing goes and basically jump into full-time being a mentor coach uh, for women in STEM. And, and the question I had, I asked myself, again, that, that caused, and you're going to see a trend here, that caused me to make like the, the decision to make the leap into this full-time was that question around, where do I think I can make the biggest impact long-term in the industry? Where do I see myself, you know, 20 years from now? Um, and when I, when I painted that picture for myself, uh, which definitely was not the easiest thing in the world to do, I think as, as women in STEM, we are really, really good 
at working within constraints and you know delivering our projects on time under budget all of those things and we may aren't necessarily so good at imagining what might be possible outside of those constraints um, but for me it was a where can i have the most impact on the industry long term and when i asked myself that question as opposed to what's you know the most practical thing to do here which certainly would have been to not jump into this full time when I asked myself, how could I have the most impact? That was a very, very clear answer. Um, and so six months after that book came out, I uh, jumped into this full time. Uh, and that's not to say like that wasn't a uh, lightly taken leap in terms of, you know, we got all the financial stuff in line to be able to do that. But, you know, the, the thing that drives me and why I love what I do and I have the very best job in the whole world uh, is making making that difference for other women. I mean, the reality for me was there are lots of people that could do the technical work. There are not a lot of people that, that can and will stand up for what I get told all the time is that I'm saying a lot of the things a lot of women are thinking, but feel like they can't say uh, because of the backlash, the very real backlash issue. Now it's getting better. We're having a lot more conversations about these and there are definitely work... Uh, cultures and environments out there um, that have like taken this topic by the horns and are really trying to advance the women in their organization. But we still have a ton of work to do. Uh, my dream is to get to the point where a woman in STEM can walk into the room and say, yeah, I'm an, I'm an engineer, I'm a scientist. Uh, and no one looks at her weird like she has three heads uh, and oh well, well, you don't you don't look like you'd be the kind of person that, that does that, or assumed that you're the admin, right? So I I had this happen just like yep. a couple of months ago, at my company, and there was we were going through like the people that were on the client side of a meeting, and this one youngerish gentleman on my on our call, she, he assumed that because it was this woman's name, that she he's like, well, maybe she's the admin. You know, and this is like an engineering meeting, right? And so I, I messaged him afterwards and I was like, please don't make that assumption. I'm like, I've been in this industry for almost 30 years. I'm like, that is a horrible assumption to make. And he was so apologetic and stuff. So to your point, like nothing is mean spirited. Well, I don't want to say nothing. Most things aren't intentional. They're not mean spirited, but it's things like that, that make you go like, what? decade am I living in? <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole idea, you know, if you for anyone that, that is in a plant or walking out on a construction site, I have certainly had it happen numerous times where, you know, your even presence there was questioned, or you had the contractor or plant manager you were talking to, you know, take take a young person with you that you're managing that happens to be a guy and now all of a sudden all the questions are oh directed God. to them <laughs> instead of you all those sorts of things that that you know in and of itself I get a lot of oh well that's not a big deal you know you sh you're just too sensitive oh right? God yeah I hear, hear you that just all need the a thicker time, skin right? yeah but then when you add them all up together it's this constant questioning of your competence yes, I mean really exactly. that's what it is yep yep it's we're, we're discounting your abilities, your technical knowledge here. And so I found that learning the whole uh, self-advocacy thing 
uh, is something I struggled with a ton early in my career. Um, but I see this now as it's, it's perception management and how do you both respond to those situations and how do you make sure that the people around you know just how technically competent you, you are. Right. Um, I, I too fell for the myth that, oh, if I just keep my head down and work hard, someone will eventually notice how really good I am at my job. And I, I do hear some men say the same thing as well, but I know for a fact, having lived it, that women, like we have got to get out of that mindset because you're just going to keep yourself stuck. Well, and I think, you know, we're taught to be humble. We're taught to be quiet. We're not taught to advocate for ourselves. And it's so incredibly important. And Honestly, like I said, I'm almost 30 years into my career and I still have a hard time with it. I have a hard time saying, here's what I'm doing. Like when I started this podcast, I was very, and I, I started a new job about the same time my podcast came out. And I was like, even like very trepidatious about people knowing that I was doing this podcast and things like that, because, you know, like what you talk about with the backlash and like, you know, is my company going to view this as something that is... I don't, I don't even, I don't even know what I was thinking. Like not, you know, not necessarily something that's bad, but not necessarily something that they want, um, you know, put, put out there because it is a consulting firm. It is client facing. And, you know, and, and I think that it's taken me a very long time and I still will have people mentor me after 30 years that go, you need to be more vocal about what you're doing. You need to self-promote. And I think that that's an important piece, like to, you know, for, for what you're doing with your mentoring and coaching and stuff, even after 30 years, people still need mentoring and coaching. And, you know, I think that, you know, that's a piece that I am very cognizant about, now is making sure I have mentors in place um, that provide different viewpoints. But I think, you know, I think you think about that as something you need when you're younger, but you needed it at really every point in your career is that mentoring and that coaching and that sounding board being on both sides of it, I think is really important too. And just, you know, having, having sources to talk through things with and get advice from, but how does it work from like a coaching and mentoring standpoint? Like how is your company structured and how, what's like kind of what's like the business side of it for doing that? Cause like all of my mentoring and, and this is not coaching, which I, they're, they're two different things. I, I understand that mine is all like volunteer. How does it work when you are doing it as a business? I would say the actual like work you're doing, probably not that different. Although I would say like coaching clients tend to be very invested uh, and what they're doing more so than like a mentor mentee mm -hmm. relationship, because uh, I mean, I know this is true for me when I pay for something, um, <laughs> it, it helps keep me accountable. So I think about, you know, when I, when I was a kid, I did lots of uh, sports and, you know, it, it would be unthinkable for, you know, either a kid or an elite professional athlete to not have a coach, right? We just accept that if you want to be good <laughs> in this area, that you need a coach. A lot of time with engineers, again, I'm gonna to talk to myself on this one because we are smart, we can figure things out for ourselves so we can go it alone. And there is still some of that mindset out there. Um, but back to your question about, you know, how is that different? Um, the, I would say first between a mentor and a coach, those are, that, those are two different things. What I found with mentors is they often give advice that worked really well for them. Sometimes they don't have the broader context of all these other people have tried these different things and did it work for them also. 
um, it's the old, uh, well, if it's my, not true in my experience, therefore it's not true. I got into an argument with someone the other day even about, is there a retention issue with women in engineering where we were arguing retention versus pipeline? Mm-hmm. And the person I was talking to was very convinced that since the firm they worked in uh, had a lot of uh, gender and racial diversity in their firm that, oh, this problem is solved and, and it's just the pipeline problem and there's no retention problem. Did they look in leadership? Just curious. I, I just, did they look yes. at leadership? Cause that ends up like, yes. I think fairly representative of like <laughs> the retention. Yes. Piece. But on the coaching side of it, it's really taking all, all the mentoring I had done over the years. And the fact that I have mentored and, and coached so many people taking all of those, putting them in the frameworks that work, not just for me, but work for a lot of people. And so it's, I mean, think of it like a a career coach is very similar in terms of things they would work with you on as if you had a basketball coach or a running coach or something like that. It's just, instead of giving you, you know, tools to run faster or something like that, they're giving you tools to accelerate through your career. Um, so specifically how my business is set up, I wanted to set us up as an online business from the start. So that was when we set it up in 2018, that's where we were going. Why? Uh, because what I have found is that uh, there are a number of women in engineering, women in STEM groups out there. And often what happens is the, the companies that will send their women to those events and those organizations have within them programs to help promote women and give them more support within their company. So they're really large companies. However, uh, I came up through companies that were much smaller, often didn't have any sort of support whatsoever. And it turns out this is actually a measurable, measurable thing. Uh, So there was a report. So McKinsey and Lean.org put out a woman in the workforce report every year. The last one I looked at said that 40% of women in tech, STEM, are onlys. And what that means is they are usually only the only ones in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I found that to be the case for myself, even when I was managed by a woman. But Mm -hmm. still, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was usually or often the only woman. Um, And so I wanted to make my company, our site, a place that even if you are the only woman and you have no support, you're the only woman in your department or in the firm, you have a place you can come and get the support you need to bust through those barriers, to be successful and to get to where you want to go in your career. Um, and so all of my programs, so like we, we offer one-on-one coaching. Uh, we do a lot of group programs uh, because especially when you're the only one, you need to know that you aren't the only one and that lots of other people are struggling with these exact same issues. And we found that just sharing the stories within the communities, in addition to working on similar things together, uh, this self-advocacy piece is, is a huge one and it helps people go farther and faster than they could alone or in a, just a straight up one-on-one environment. Let's talk about your book because um, I, like I said, I, I read it when we were driving and I like the action items at the end of each chapter because it's not just like, oh, here's some advice. It's like, here are actionable things that you can do. I do have a question on what, well, actually, let me ask you this first. What is the most important thing 
that you think comes out of your book for women in engineering? I only get to pick one. That that is that you, is you tricky. can pick more than one, but yeah. Okay, so I I am going to take the overarching theme of the book is that you and you alone are solely responsible for owning your career. And what do I mean by that? If you think back to to going through, you know, our schooling, we are pretty much trained to let someone else tell us where we should go next. <laughs> we spend all our years up in the educational system uh, having someone tell us what success looks like. Take this test, do this project, pass this class, get good grades, you can get a good job. And then we go on to the workforce. And I did the same thing for many years. I imagine I'm not alone in that. In that I waited for my you know, manager to tell me, oh, you're good at that. Now you should go you know, do this next project. And when I did not get that, it became very frustrating. I would go chase after, okay, well, I just want to go get that promotion because that seems like the next right thing to do. And I never took any time to figure out what what I wanted. The main takeaway of, of She Engineers is that you will not be happy in your life or in your career if you don't take the time to figure out what you want and then craft everything else around that. Your career is not like you shouldn't be fitting your life around your work. Your life is much too short for that. And so just taking you know, responsibility to control what you can control, recognizing, you know, we already talked a little bit about unconscious bias and those sorts of things. There are things you can't control other people's reactions, but you can control the, the narratives you create around this. So for example, in STEM, I, and, and women in general, we, we have a lot of, you know, I'm supposed to be a consensus builder. I'm supposed to be quiet. I'm not supposed to speak up in certain situations. I'm not supposed to self-promote. There's a lot of false narratives around this. And so just understanding that, you know what, like if I'm not where I want to be, it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's that I need to figure out what I want and I need to acquire whatever skills I need, be it changing jobs because I have that terrible manager or starting my own business, whatever that is for you, figuring that out and, and going forward. That is the key to happiness. That is the key to success. Defining what that success is for yourself and then going to get those skills is how is how you're happy and, and fulfilled in your career. One of the things that I have found is that even if you're not happy and you're like, okay, I need to make a change, but you're like, I can't make a change now. If you can start acquiring the skills to move to where you want to go, it can change your viewpoint on your happiness level. Cause you're like, okay, well I'm stuck here now, but I'm moving towards something else. And I think just changing that mindset in your head can make survival mode and which I don't think you do it long-term, but it can make survival mode for a temporary piece of time more tolerable. And I think like the other thing that you really pointed out is basically your strategic planning, your career, right? Like you have a strategic yes. plan. Like every business has a strategic plan. Departments have a strategic plan. You as a person should also have a strategic plan. And that's really what I was hearing you say is that you need to have a strategic plan for your life and your career. Right. And that's not to say that your plan isn't going to change. If there's one right. thing I have learned that I think anyone who's been in the workforce for any length of time 
you know, there's going to be new opportunities that pop up with new technologies that we don't even know of right now. Paying attention to that, which can be very, very hard to do, again, if you're stuck in that kind of survival mode. Uh, but to your point, Kathy, so I'm old enough to have lived through the last recession where, uh, you know, the construction industry, I think we all know, got hit really, really, really hard. I spent three years trying to sell a house. We followed the decline of the housing market. Yeah, it's it was awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the industry I was working in at the time. Uh, during that time, you know, the work, the types of projects we had to take on were were pretty unfulfilling to me and what I was doing. <laughs> well, well, we'll go with that. And so I started to think about, okay, like this project work, you know, isn't fulfilling what can I do to like acquire some other skills so that when we come out of this, whenever we come out of this, that I have now positioned myself to do more fun things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I realized pretty quickly in, in that particular time is, okay, where I'm working, like what, what is driving business decisions and the types of projects we get? Well, it's, it's going out and talking to clients and acquiring that sort of networking being good at networking in relation, being good at public speaking. Uh, and I would, I would say to anyone out there who says, you know, I'm unfulfilled and, and not happy in my career and, and what skills should I go look at next? Public speaking in particular, like there is not an industry where if you get really good at that, you can write your own ticket. I don't care how, like what technical area you are in. That is a skill that if you can show up in front of the leaders in your company, in your industry and, and speak. Especially yeah. in STEM, because yeah. there are so many people who are not good at it. And I would tend to say that women are better at it than men, in the, at least in STEM fields, from what I have found. I, I have found that to be true as well. And again, as you just said, the bar, the bar is pretty low. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, to be very blunt about this, the it's bar true. is pretty low. Um, and if that's something, and and I'm saying this as, okay, like I was the person starting out in my career that was like, when people were chatting around the water cooler and the coffee area, I'm like, what the heck are they doing? Can they get back to work, please? Like I am way. introverted. Yeah, I'm introverted. I was the person that was like, I do not want to go out to parties in college. I'm very social. Like I, I like talking to one-on-one and exchanging ideas and all that thing. But when it came to going to large group networking events, that is something I didn't want to do. Not at all. But I learned how to do it because what I recognized was that was a skill and it is a skill Mm -hmm. that I needed to be able to get to where I wanted to go. And one of the best things that I did, so I I chaired a trade association. And when I was moving into the chairmanship role or chairwomanship role, I hired a communication coach because I could do technical presentations. I was comfortable doing technical presentations, but the idea of speaking in front of and keynoting in front of 1500 people, not technical and trying to keep people from like looking at their phones was extremely daunting. And I met, um, and, and fortunately, like weirdly, my company, I worked for a utility, my company had, he was on retainer for leadership, but they also offered his services to like everyone in the company, which was honestly one of the best things that they did. Like I, like it was phenomenal. And I still, I still work with him and he had an acting background. And so, so different than anything that I had been in. And I had been in Toastmasters and stuff, but it was, it's 
one of the best relationships and coaching relationships that I have and skill sets to your point, it's a skill. It's not something I think people think that it's something you have or you don't have. No, it's a skill. It's a skill that you build. And like, it's one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in addition to, you know, changing, I would say the track of my career to be able to be able to, I, and honestly, I don't, I don't know if I would have had a, had a podcast if I hadn't met right. him. Right. You know, yeah. it's, um, it's phenomenal. So I think you're absolutely right. That's a great skill. I have another question on your book that I want to just chat about. So we talked about, you know, like, say when you brought up like baking brownies at your first job. So when I started my job and this was like 28 years ago, so I'm a bit older than you, I wasn't the first woman engineer at my company, but I was the first woman engineer that was in the field. She was very much like office focused and stuff. And I was very cognizant and I worked with a lot of technicians, which is there's even like less women in field work right. than there is in, in engineering. I was very cognizant about like, I wanted to be one of the guys I didn't like, I, I baked cakes like and decorated cakes. Cause my, my mom was a home ec teacher while well, she stayed at home most of her life, but she baked like these fancy cakes. And like, I did that and I baked and I sewed and all these things that I didn't want anyone to know that I did. So I was very like, I almost like, I don't want to say I changed my personality, but I changed pieces, like forward facing pieces of my personality to try and fit with the guys that I was working with. One of the things you talk about is dressing the part, right? Like dressing yes. professionally, which I totally understand. I totally understand that advice. I totally understand its importance. At the same time, you know, we see like Mark Zuckerberg in his hoodies and we, and Steve right. Jobs when he was alive in his, yep. you know, turtlenecks and stuff. And I, at the same time, like understand, like we need to look as professional as we can because we have a different portrayal that people see us in. I also feel like we should be able to be authentic. Right. You have any thoughts on that? Because like do. I'm reading your book and I'm going like, I understand this, but I want it to be different. And I think it's more of like what I want than than the actuality of it. But what are what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I have a couple couple of thoughts. Uh, first is that I would never encourage anyone to not be authentic. All right, let's start there. Completely, you should be able to be who you are. And notice the word "should" there. I'll get to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. You should be able to be who you are, show up as you are, you know, at work. Uh, I do not fundamentally believe that if you're wearing a hoodie or if you are wearing a suit that has anything whatsoever to do with how good you are at your job. However, again, I think I, I mentioned at the beginning this idea of perception management. And I think where kind of dressing the part, so there's two pieces to, I think, dressing the part per se. And the first is, does dressing the part give you confidence because for some people, not for everybody, but like when I uh, get dressed in a suit, like I'm going to an important meeting, that gives me confidence in terms of I can see myself in my professional persona and I am pulling out that very confident professional persona to show up for the meeting. It's not that it's inauthentic to me. It's that this is the piece of me that I need to show up at this meeting in this moment. That piece is very different from, if for example, I'm playing with my daughters. In fact, if I use my work voice on my first <laughs> grader, she bursts into tears. <laughs> and so as you're thinking about this, like anyone that, that 
played sports or anyone that's in the medical field, you're putting on your scrubs to go to work or you're putting on your uniform to go to work. And there, there is definitely like a psychological component a bit here too, in terms of like, you're switching on, okay, whichever persona that you need to show up in this moment. But again, it's not that you're being inauthentic to yourself. Like I would, I would, I think I thought of it this way too, at first that, oh, like I'm just trying to fit in and that's what's driving it. But it's more of like, if you were were to take on like acting terms that you are in this role for this moment, it's, it's a piece of you. It's not, it should never be completely inauthentic or anything like that, but it's a piece of you you're leaning into in this moment, because this is the person you need to, the part of you, you need to show up to be able to be successful in this situation. Uh, Whereas there's other moments where you need to pull different parts of you out. Like another example I could give is like, if you, you know, typical day in the office, um, you walk in, you find out, you know, a coworker's uh, parent has COVID. Like you would want your empathetic parts (laughs) to show up in that discussion with your coworker in that moment. You wouldn't like adopt your boardroom voice and have that discussion. Uh, But then when you walk into a meeting with a client where maybe there was a conflict situation or a problem, you're going to want to pull out different pieces of you. And what are you, you know, wearing in those different scenarios? Uh, at least for me, and again, not for everybody, but at least for me, dressing the part um, gives me confidence to be able to show up uh, in those situations, particularly if I'm the only woman in the room. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and, I would, and I would agree with that. It's just, like I said, when I was reading it, I'm like, I have these like two pieces, but I will also say like, when I talk about my communication coach, when I was like, you know, prepping to go through these like keynotes and obviously like me, Mark Zuckerberg can do keynotes and hoodies. I'm not going to my communication coach is like, okay. So like when we would do like, like one of the final practices, he's like, okay, you need to like have on what you're going to be wearing so that you are, you know, and so, and so I get, oh, and also to make sure you don't have any wardrobe malfunctions. Cause that's like a whole <laughs> other issue. Like, <laughs> And make sure that you're, you know, you're comfortable being able to, you know, give your, you know, for me, it was, it was a speech where I'm not behind a podium and, you know, be comfortable walking around. I'm not going to trip over, but he's like, have your shoes on, have, you know, so I, I see both sides of it very, very clearly. I, I don't know though. And maybe this is something you can comment on at what point, if, if a woman were to be a Mark Zuckerberg, can she wear the equivalent of a hoodie or a hoodie? and be okay in that space because i don't i don't think that we're there yet i don't think that she would command the same respect unfortunately right and i i completely agree with you but i will also say okay if you can wear the hoodie and just completely own the you know what out of it to work do it i think that the problem comes when the work environment combined with all the social conditioning we have. And this is true regardless, like my parents are awesome. Like I was brought up to think that I could do anything I wanted. You know, I just, I needed to work. Like there was no illusion about, you know, you still need to work hard here, but it produced a lot of confidence in me to think Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want. I just need to work for it. But even in that environment, going into a STEM environment where there's not a lot of people that look like you, that can be a huge confidence drain. And I found that even for women who would normally describe themselves as, yeah, I'm really confident in most situations, 
but then get me in this meeting with this client who's questioning my competence or the higher up who is like diving into the technical details and now my tongue is tied and struggling what to say. Often what you wear has this like subconscious effect on you. And so that's why I say like, I would love to get to a point where, you know, who cares what anyone wears? But again, there's there's still definitely a very strong like perception issue. I think there's some like psychologically, we make a decision about somebody in seven seconds about what we think about their competence based on what we see, what we hear, all of those things. And so let's not give our, that's the way it is. That's not at all the way it should be, but that's the way it is. And so why would you give yourself a disadvantage in that situation, knowing that like someone is making a snap second judgment wrongly, but they are making a snap second Mm -hmm. judgment on, you know, is she competent or not? Well, and so you brought up something that is like really, um, like in, in my, the forefront of my mind right now. So I changed from being, I, I spent 25 years at an electric utility, then a couple years at a, um, startup wireless company. And now I'm at a consulting firm and I had a ton of confidence. I like people knew my competencies because I had been at my company for 25 years. I had this very innately built in and I was an industry expert because I spent a lot of time on, on a trade association board. One of the things I'm honestly struggling with is in the consulting side, because you're changing projects all the time and you're, you have new clients all the time. It is very different um, to your point of like, you're being judged in different ways mm-hmm. in that scenario. And honestly, that's like one of the things that I'm kind of struggling with because I've had this like, you know, built in innate competence and value that I provided to my company for a very, very long time. And I don't have that with me. It's like, it feels like it was almost like this shield of armor that I had that I don't have anymore. And so that's, that's interesting that you, you know, bring that up in terms of like, you know, how you, how you look and your appearance and stuff like that, because it's not something I really thought too much about before I went into this new, um, this, this, this new role. So that's interesting. I hope you're enjoying this podcast and Stephanie's story. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, head over to your favorite podcast platform where you can rate it or even better, write a review, which will help other people find my podcast and bring these women's stories to more listeners. You can also find me at www.ordinarily-extraordinary.com. Thanks. And back to Stephanie's story. I want to go back to um, kind of like your previous your previous world before you wrote your book, before you changed careers. So what does a architectural engineer do? I think we briefly talked about this when, you know, when we did our intro call, but so I, from third grade on, I wanted to be an architect. Like this was like what I had planned to do. And then I went into architecture, but it was all art. And I was like, okay, I can't draw to save my life. Like, so I'm like architecture, I'm out, but what is architectural engineering? How does it different from, structural engineering and how does it differ from architecture? Okay. And what did you do as like a day in your life when you were an architectural engineer? And so first I didn't even know architectural engineering was a major um, when I started in college. And so I'm happy to educate everybody on what that is because I didn't know. The reason I found the major was actually because I had switched majors, started in biochemistry, then I went to computer engineering. Both of those I found 
both difficult and the classes I was taking were incredibly boring. So no offense to anyone who has a career in any of those areas. Uh, I had a friend, we went to, we, I played tennis. So I showed up to get some little exercise after class and he brought a building model with him. And I'm like, I know you're in engineering, but what class do you get to do engineering and build models? So I went into architectural engineering. So from a college major standpoint, there's an art and a science to building a building. The architectural engineering is more focused on the science part of this. In that, you learn all about the different building systems. So you learn about sustainability, for example, and and how do you energy in terms of mechanical systems. You learn about uh, construction management. So how do you manage a project in schedule under budget? Like what are all the tools you need to do that? Logistics, all those sorts of things. You also learn structural engineering. So within architectural engineering, there's usually some options in my particular school. So shout out to any Penn State alumni listening to this. My particular school had four different options you could pick from. Structural engineering was one of them. And you also got to take architecture classes. So you understood more about the art around this. And in terms of, you know, how do you put the building envelope together? So it's not just the things holding up the building, but it's also how do you keep water and rain from getting into the building and how do you work together cohesively to create this building that works for all of its occupants with all of these different systems that go into the building. So the difference between architectural engineering and architecture is that, well, first, architectural engineering majors typically go on to be either construction managers or some sort of building systems engineer. They work in that function. Architecture students tend to go on to be architects. And the interesting part is like, we all work together on projects. So typically, if I think of a a large, and I worked on predominantly large commercial building projects, I have never designed a residential project in my life. So that it's the architecturally complex things I would work on. And we have architects on our team, people who did mechanical systems, electrical systems, construction managers, structural people, clients, tradespeople, all of those people would come together to design the building project. Now, the difference between that and civil engineering, uh, and there are definitely some schools that combine civil engineering with environmental and architectural engineering. Like I can think of a couple of schools that that's all together. Some of them times they're separate. Uh, And I'm married to someone who went through civil engineering, also working in the structural area. Ironically, he's never done any structural engineering after college in his life. So I have a pretty good knowledge of like how those two programs compare. Civil engineering is not just buildings. Um, It's bridges. It's traffic. It's transportation. It's water, wastewater. It's, uh, it's, It's substantially more broad than architectural engineering is because architectural engineering, again, is predominantly building structures or other types of structures. So like there are uh, people who've gone through those types of programs working on space shuttles for the materials Mm -hmm. that, you know, we use to go up, go up into space. What interested you in, well, and you said you started out in, um, do you say biomedical? Biochemistry. Biochemistry. Yep. Even even better. So what interested you in science and engineering when you were younger and how did you end up going that route? And then maybe like kind of like weave into that, like your college experience and you know, like how how many women did you see? And and I'm kind of curious, like from because you changed majors a few times, how did that change? 
you know, like the number of women in the different fields that you were majoring in at the time? Both my parents have science degrees. I'm the oldest of eight children. So my mom Hmm. stayed home with us after I was born, but her degree was in uh, microbiology and she worked in a hospital um, for a while. And then my dad has a chemistry degree. And so while we certainly, there's only, I'm the oldest of eight, three of us went into science or engineering or something like that. We also have people who majored in music and history. And uh, I have a sister with an architecture degree actually. And so I would definitely say like I was exposed to science, engineering, math from a pretty young age, but I also always had an affinity for writing in English, like at least ever since I had my, I had a seventh and eighth grade teacher who was just instrumental, I think, in helping me with my love, love for that as well. And so I was one of those kids that I'm like, I'm doing all these, like, I'm interested in lots of different things trying them all out, playing with Legos and simple machines and percolation tests, I think was a uh, science fair project in sixth grade for anyone that's in that kind of water area. Um, so then I, when I went up through high school, you know, it came time to decide, okay, what am I going to major? Like I have to pick something to apply to all these colleges. In. And I kept on coming back to the fact that I was really interested in how things work, how things go together, like technology in general. Like I like to play with technology. I definitely wasn't the kid that like took the computer apart. But at the time, like the web was just starting to gain traction. This was like the mid 90s. And I'm like, okay, well, playing with this website thing. And it was really interesting to me how where all these technologies were going to go. Biomedical was starting to become a thing. So I'm like, okay you know, how do we like combine all of these things together? Uh, And so after a lot of uh, difficulty trying to figure this out, I applied to a couple of schools, actually in biomedical engineering, there was like only two schools in the country that had a program with that at the time. And everyone else, I did biochemistry, figuring that I could, you know, get the biochemistry and somehow get the rest of it at some point. And then I took my first college chemistry class. Uh, (laughs) And it was not only really, really difficult, I realized how much I hadn't learned in my chemistry classes in high school. You have to just study a heck of a lot more, even if you were, I graduated second in my class in high school. I thought I knew how to study. I didn't. Um, (laughs) And I don't, I have to honestly say, so these were in like big lecture style classrooms. Mm -hmm. I didn't really even notice women, men, like I didn't notice that in those early classes, to be honest. I didn't really start to notice it until like the chemistry class, I feel like was was not enough to notice. My calculus classes, on the other hand, was an entirely different story. Like there just there weren't a lot of women in, in the calculus classes I was taking at the time. So that's kind of interesting to me because when I was in college, and so my my dad was an engineering technology professor, and I never thought twice about going into, like when I changed from architecture to engineering, it never occurred to me that I may be the only, right? Like, right. The, and yeah. even in my classes, nope. I mean, there, there was only four women in, in my graduating class of 75, but I never felt... I never felt like the only, like, I mean, weirdly, everything was very like, you know, we studied together, we partied together. I've never felt strange until I started my job. And so kind of to your point of like not noticing, I don't feel like I noticed it until I went into my career either. Even though I know that like in my, in my engineering classes, I know I was the only or one of the only, but 
I never adversely noticed it, if that makes any sense. Right. There wasn't a, I want to say like a hyper awareness of it in college. And I have to say, I didn't even notice this in my internships. One of my internships was with an architecture firm, which I do think architecture firms do tend to draw, like there are more women because then you have interior designers and, and you have, it's still very much male dominated. I mean, if I'm thinking back, was I the only woman working in that group? I think I was, but I didn't notice it. It's <laughs> weird. That sounds like a really weird thing to say. So when I switched, but I also think for me, so when I switched over into, so I switched from the school of science first, just into the school of engineering, intending to major in computer engineering. And then I took my first C++ course and I actually fell asleep during one of the exams because <laughs> during your I, exam? it was, oh yeah, I woke up like 10 minutes later. It was not for me. It was not holding my interest. We'll put it that way. Again, I didn't notice. And then I switched over into architectural engineering and Penn State just happens to be like one of the very top schools in the country for that major. And I just didn't know it at the time. Because of that, I think that particular major when I went in was about 40% women and 60% men. So that actually like I had female professors. I had like, it, it actually made it better because I was like, okay, like now I really don't notice because it looks about the same to me. Back to your point. uh, And I actually, speaking as someone that speaks to college students, I get that a lot from college students as well. I'm like, they don't believe me. They believe what (laughs) I, they believe that I experienced what I experienced. They don't think I'm lying, but I get often, particularly from white women, this idea that, oh, we are farther along than we are. And it's not going to happen to me because the world is different now. And they don't actually say that. They don't come out and say that. But you can tell by the expressions on their faces. When I speak to mixed gender student groups, I get it from the guys too. This idea that, well, if I see something, I'm definitely going to speak up. And I'm like, yes, do that. Um, But the reality is we have a lot of people that don't don't speak up. Like you, I didn't notice (laughs) until... I got it into the workforce. So that, okay. So, so what you just said is really interesting to me because when I was young, you know, starting out in, in my engineering career, I was in society of women engineers. And I remember going to, you know, and I'm, you know, young twenties and I remember going to a meeting and there was an older female engineer that was there talking with us. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I am so grateful of these women who came before me. Right. And you got to think like, this is 30, like, you know, 20, probably 25 years ago. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for these women who have like blazed these trails. The roads are paved. Everything's good. (laughs) Yep. And then you're like, oh no, like, no, this, that's, that's not, but I feel like what you said about these, you know, women who are thinking that, you know, they're not going to experience this. The fact that like, we like, you know, 25 years ago, I thought it was, I thought, you know, we had all of these, you know, inroads yeah, we I did too. engineers and it wasn't, it was, it's felt like a non-issue until it affects you personally. And you're like, oh, this is such an issue. And, and honestly, you know, and I've, you know, worked my way through my career and, and things like that. And a lot of it was like, honestly, like a lot of it wasn't until I started doing this podcast and talking to different women and women who are isolated and, you know, like they might be in manufacturing and they're the only, you know, woman on a you know plant floor and the isolation that women feel, 
that's what I want to overcome, right? Like I want the, I want women to feel like they're not alone and, you know, whether it's coming out of school, whether it's, you know, whatever point they are just to not feel alone, I think is really important because it's not where you think that it is. (laughs) Right. Right. And the not alone thing, like I, I, when you had asked me, what's the biggest takeaway from she engineers, I was like mentally arguing with myself over whether to talk about the not alone thing or what I said. So thank you for leading me into the not alone thing. So the, the research on women in engineering specifically and women in STEM and why they leave and where they go very, very clearly shows that not having a support system, not having mentors or sponsors, either in your organization or outside is a leading indicator for if you are going to leave the field entirely. Uh, And so like we have data that shows that. So even if you're the kind of person that like, you know, I'm the lone wolf type, because I'm saying this because I am, but you know, if I'm the lone wolf type, I will just, you know, bust through the barriers on my own. Like at least give yourself the statistical advantage (laughs) by finding mentors and, and sponsors and especially other women or people that look like you um, for helping you navigate some of these really nuanced situations because your career and your life is not spent, meant to be a solitary endeavor. And if I had to go back and pinpoint like, okay, not having the mentor sponsor support system. And, and I'm saying this as someone who Like none of these people, I can think of like one case where the person I needed to show up that mentor or sponsor showed up in a firm I was working in. Mm -hmm. I had to go out and find those people. Um, Industry volunteer things, I would say is like my favorite place to send people when you're like, I can't find a mentor or sponsor. I can can say uh, I had a male mentor in one of the industry volunteer groups that I joined that I would not have started my own business without his guidance Mm -hmm. and support. And like, yes, you can do this. Like that, you know, I needed that. Create, I've heard people call this as like your own board of directors (laughs) in terms of having those people you can bounce stuff off of. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I had to say, you know, like people that come to me, like that, you know, have no support, be it at home or somewhere else, and have been super, super isolated. Like that is a recipe for all sorts of problems, but also just being like unfulfilled. When you are isolated, you cannot like, it's like you can't access the parts of your brain that helps you see the bigger picture. You're stuck in that survival mode again. Um, So again, like you're not alone. You are by far not the only person who has experienced this, there are ways to overcome it. And sometimes that's, sometimes it is finding a new job, but sometimes it's getting the extra like communication tools you need to be able to be like, nope, like this is my boundary. Don't go over it. And yes, I'm super technically competent too. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things with community, you know, I mean, and COVID has a lot of negative impacts for sure, but there are some positive impacts. And I think one of them is, the virtual communities, you know, so you might be, I I live in a very rural area of Minnesota and one of the, you know, I I would have no local network support whatsoever. Um, And even finding like my nearest professional group is probably two and a half hours away, but everything being virtual has been really helpful with that. And it's also given, at least for me, and I think I've for most people, it has given them the time and the ability to sort to, you know, to, to source out, different virtual 
either communities or resources or, you know, th things like that, which I think is great because I have a community that's all over the world. Um, and I, and I did from like the, the trade association I was a part of because there was, a, because it was global, but like through the podcast and stuff and, you know, connections that I've made, it, it's not even just in the U S or in my state, it's mm -hmm. all over the world. And we all have the same issues and the same challenges. And it's so, um, it's just, it's so great to be able to have those conversations with people that have such different backgrounds and go, you know, like we have this commonality, you know, in, in what we do and the challenges that we face and be able to talk through them regardless of where you are. And I think that's one of the most awesome things about, well, about the, co about, about COVID and about like, from my perspective, you know, the podcast and, you know, bringing that community together. I think it's, it's really, really fun. Okay. I've got two questions for you. I know we're like getting short on time, but I have two questions for you. One, what are you most proud of in your career so far? I will first say that like I'm generally pretty sucky at celebrating successes as I imagine a lot of our as a lot a lot of women in STEM are. This is this is a work in progress for me. Honestly, I think writing she engineers. I'm gonna start with that one. Just because right like at this point, like that is the thing that had I not like been able to dig deep to find the courage to do that, recognizing that up up until that point in my career, I had never really stepped out of my comfort zone not into something that could fail so publicly and spectacularly as <laughs> writing a book I mean I an engineer that's writing a book like that just sounds crazy even when I say it now um, and so I think for me like it, it's just that the fact that I did it and and wrote it and then that led to all these other things like that taking that first step was the hardest first step and just required an immense amount of courage to do. And so that's, that's the thing I'm most proud of because everything after that, even though I, you know, I didn't have any business training on how to start an online business, but everything after that stemmed from that moment, moment of courage. And so that's why I want to share that because I feel like a lot of women like there is a moment of courage coming. And if you see it, and if you step into that for yourself, like amazing, amazing things will happen to you and for you. But only if you have the ability to be like, yes, I'm going to step through that door when that new opportunity is appears, or I'm just going to make that opportunity for myself, which is pretty much what happened in this case. Well, and I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I love your book. Um, so I, I do want to point out it's she engineers. I bought it on Amazon, although I know that you had said that you had an Amazon issue. So is that all resolved? So if someone were to go to Amazon yes. to buy it, it's all good now. And it's you and, and you're yes. getting the proceeds. Someone and not... stole my book. Yeah. Someone like plagiarized and put a new, put a different took my book, put a different cover and put it up on okay, Amazon. Wait, now I got, so, okay. So, so do I have your actual book then? Is this you your do. book? Okay, good. Yes. Yes, you have it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cause I don't want, I don't, I don't want to like be supporting some imposter. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, and we're also actually running a promotion uh, that you can get a free physical copy signed by me. We can, we can drop a link in, in the notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that other people, other people can get that. Um, so we're running that currently and we'll be continuing to run it at least until the pandemic is over whenever that <laughs> Maybe. Soon. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I would, for me, I would expect at least through the end of 2021, um, because looking at where my conference is and travel schedule is, uh, that's why we started doing it actually, because I had a bunch of books. I was planning to take to conferences that were all canceled. Oh, oh. And so now they're in my home office and I would like to get them out into the world where they can do more good than they can sitting in my home office. <laughs> All right. So my last question, and I'm sure you have some really great advice because you, you have it in the book and you coach, um, what advice would you give to girls or young women thinking about going into engineering or into STEM? Oh, that's an awesome, awesome question. Okay. So first, um, engineering and STEM is not just math. So I have this discussion with my children for context. I have a sixth grader, I have a fourth grader, and I have a first grader all girls. And even with them, we are already running into the engineering and science is like my really boring math class. And it's not. So engineering and science and STEM is all about how you take those concepts you learned in math and science and physics, depending on like where you are in your career, and apply them into the world to make the world a better place. Like they are the basis for what you could do. They are not all that you can do. And the world needs more scientists and engineers and mathematicians and, and people like you uh, to create those things. Uh, particularly for girls, like you have a unique perspective in the world and the industry needs you. Now, saying that, like go, go uh, be a, STEM person, go be an engineer. I would definitely encourage, I get this question often. I would definitely encourage my daughters to go into it, but go into it with your eyes open, knowing that the kind of communication stuff we've been talking about today, you need a couple extra tools to make sure you can navigate, not just the fun technical stuff of, of putting all these bits and pieces together and serving the world, but also being able to like have the career you want, whether it through corporate, whether you are going to invent the next awesome thing, uh, the next iPhone, whatever that is, uh, you need those extra bits of tools. So just make sure that you get the people around you. Uh, you build that support system even as early as you know being in school and college, all of that, so that you can be successful and change the world. Okay. So I'm going to quickly ask you something because I know we're out of time and I wish we would have had more time to talk about this. So you have three girls. Do they show signs of being interested in engineering or STEM fields or are they going other routes or, and do you care? I don't care. And I think it's too early to tell to some extent. Um, so we uh, populated our house with toys for all genders. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, we are a household that has Legos. I'm an engineer married to an engineer, as I referenced earlier, but we also have dolls and we also have all, you know, we have girly things, we have unicorns, uh, we have the whole, whole gamut. Um, and so our kind of, or our philosophy as parents was to make sure our kids got exposed to as much as they possibly could. The, the comment I made earlier about thinking engineering is boring math, we are having that discussion with my sixth grader now. Again, like my school district is awesome. Like they do a lot of different ac outreach activities and stuff like that. But I, I can see the uphill battle specifically for uh, girls. And I'm sure there's some guys that have this issue too. The uphill battle on getting folks to really understand like your math class isn't engineers and scientists actually do that sort of thing. And so uh, my oldest is like 
doing all the kind of advanced math stuff and, and going up through there. My middle child loves to, she sees patterns. I don't, I don't know how to, how to put that, um, except for the fact that like, so for example, I see patterns. My husband is super good at visualization, like any 3D stuff. Like, and so we kind of watch out for those traits in our kids to be like, okay, well, they're good at it. Let's make sure we nurtured this. Whereas I had to learn the 3D visualization stuff because I don't do it naturally. And so uh, my first grader, who knows what she's, she's interested in unicorns right now. First grader, (laughs) right, interested in unicorns. Um, And so, yes, they're starting to show, you know, interest in all these different things, but the two oldest ones also love reading and writing too. Um, So to be honest, I don't care. I want them to find happiness and success in wherever they want to go. But I also do believe that that there's some really fun new emerging technologies, and there always will be, in the intersections between disciplines. Uh, And so that's where a lot of my own personal interests lie on uh, the intersection, for example, of business and STEM, which is why I teach uh, one of the programs I offer is how to start your own business, uh, because, you know, that intersection, and mm-hmm. to be honest, that's one of the most fun ones to teach, because I'll tell you what, if you're in corporate, you have to learn how to navigate all of that, and that's perfect for some people, but if, again, like, if you want to have just completely, like, unlimited possibilities for yourself and the world, because you can, like, take the company where you want it to go, uh, starting your own business is something I'm pretty passionate about, especially because, as I think I mentioned earlier, this wasn't in my life plan, uh, so I didn't even know that was an option, and so I want to make sure other women know, yes, this is an option. There are actually, the same way there's design strategies, like, for engineers and people in STEM, there is actually a process to starting a business that, you know, it's not going to take all the risk out, but it takes a lot of it out. Back to your question, though, I don't care. I want my children to be happy and successful in the world in whatever path they choose. I also think that anyone that under, like, you know, either goes to college or has a significant STEM engineering tech background has a significant advantage in pretty much any industry with the exception of like hands-on things like nursing. Um, because the way we learn to think and the way we're taught to think in very kind of systematic ways, we can see patterns in data and there's no industry that's not going to be touched by loads of data. It gives us a competitive advantage. It gives you a competitive advantage, even if you don't end up using it in like a super technical field. Um, So will I be encouraging my children to, you know, if they are between two majors when they're going into college, to consider going and getting the technical degree, even if they end up working elsewhere? Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be doing that. So they'll be listening to this being like, okay, mom, we're going to come back and talk to you in a couple of years. (laughs) Um, But absolutely. Because I do think that, again, it teaches you this skill set that is just so immensely valuable in so many different fields. It's like, how many options can you give yourself uh, picking that technical degree, I would say, gives you more options than pretty much anything else you could possibly think of. Yeah. And you can really go into anything with it. Like you can, you could be technical and go into business. You can't be business and go into something technical. I'm, and I, I've got a much, much harder <laughs> a 19 year old who um, is in computer science and is a little struggling a little bit. She's not really liking it. And I'm like, but she's far enough in it that if she changes, she would be in school a lot longer. I'm like, you know, just keep going and you have, you know, you can do something else with it. You're not going to necessarily be sitting there programming, but 
this gives you so many opportunities. I think that's one of the great yeah. things about the majority of STEM fields. It just, it opens up a huge number of doors. I thank you so much for being on the podcast and I will have information on your book and your company on, in the episode notes. And, uh, this has been really great to talk with you. I'm so glad that we got to, that we got to meet up. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kathy. It's been a wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ordinarily Extraordinary Conversations with Women in STEM. You can find a list of definitions, acronyms, and a fact check in the episode notes. If you like this podcast, please like it and write a review. And if you'd like to have more episodes delivered right to you, please feel free to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. And please join me for future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.